Hey y'all, what's up? It's Chase. Shark Tank is on creative. Okay, just little little adjustment. Um, not quite Shark Tank, but I am super excited about our guest today because he is a star of Shark Tank. I wanted to welcome you first to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. Very honored to be in your ears today. If you're new to the show, this is where I sit down with the world's top creators and entrepreneurs, and I do everything I can to unlock their brains with the goal of helping you live your dreams and career and hobby and in life. And today's podcast is with Damon John. Damon John from Shark Tank. And Damon's got a new book called Power Shift. If you're not sure who Damon John is, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but he is the founder and CEO of FUBU clothing brand. He's an investor, a New York Times bestselling author, a motivational speaker, and he is probably best known as the People's Shark, where he is one of the entrepreneurs for the hit ABC series now, and I think it's 11th season called Shark Tank, where people pitch their ideas to a handful of sharks so that they can invest in the ideas and the futures and the dreams of entrepreneurs and creators like you and me. Today, we get to spend time with this master and uh, learn a handful of the key elements from his new book called Power Shift. This is an audio-only version of a conversation, um, I'll call it a class, that um, Damon led not too long ago. And it's in three parts. It's a three-act play. The first act is basically just a conversation, a monologue, a speech, if you will, from Damon, where he gives us an overview of the lens that he sees our ability, um, our personal power, and how we can drive that. Um which is the essence of his book, Power Shift. Then I join the conversation. We have um, uh, uh, we go deep on a handful of the key topics that he talks about in his overview, ones where I have questions or ones where this community, having listened to you for 10 years or more, call it, call it 15, and so I think I have an understanding of the questions that you want to hear people like Damon answer, so I raise those questions for him in the context of his new book. And then we take questions, which are always enlightening. And again, this was from a live global event. So if you have questions, I'm hoping that the questions that I chose to um, to ask of him that came in from, I think there was more than 3,000 questions that came in from all over the world. So my hope, we didn't answer all 3,000 of those, of course, but of the couple of dozen that we answered, it's my hope that I will have selected some that represent um, if not your question exactly, something that would be really valuable that we didn't discuss in the conversation. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you listen to this fantastic, um, the vision and the wisdom from Mr. Damon John around his new book, Power Shift. Um, before we do, though, just a quick word from Creative Live. Hey, oh, hey, uh, new sponsor alert. So this episode of Chase Jarvis Live is brought to you by Creative Live. And you all know, yeah, of course. I am the founder of that company, but I got to be straight up. This is unequivocally, no questions asked, the best place in the world for creator and entrepreneurial education. I mean, frankly, nothing even comes close, and it's the only one that's focused specifically on photography, design, video, art, music, craft, and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all those disciplines. It's where the best teachers in the world, where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best go to teach. So, of course, I'm biased, but I, I just encourage you to check it out because 
nothing else comes close. And you will be on your way to join millions of other folks in our creative community there learning from the world's top experts. Okay, that's it. That's my soapbox. That is the commercial. And we'll hope to see you over Creative Life. Now let's get back to the show. Mr. Damon John in the house. Damon, welcome and take it away. Uh, thank you so much, Chase. Can you guys hear me? You sound great. All right. So thank you so much for the warm welcome. And thank you for sharing, uh, you know, uh, your platform with me. And welcome to all the people that uh, support me as well on my platform. I, I am excited about working with Creative Live. And, I, and if you didn't know Creative Live, after this, you are going to absolutely be uh, addicted to it. And more importantly, you're going to be empowered. So thank you all for having me. And uh, uh, welcome to the PowerShift Global Book Tour. And, uh, you know, where are we going to start? I'm just going to start really telling you about, um, you know, why I created this book. And I want to get right to it. I know every, every single one of you are extremely busy today trying to figure out what you're doing in life. And I created this book because, uh, you know, I've written <clears throat> various amount of books over the course of the last couple of years. Actually, this is my fifth book, but my third in five years. And being somebody that is dyslexic, it's extremely challenging to write the books, but I felt that uh, I felt that in my previous books, I told people how to make money without, uh, you know, having money. Uh, I told people how to rise and grind, and you were there 24 hours better than anybody else in the world. But people still came up to me in the streets or speaking or when I was consulting and saying, you gave me all those tools, but yet I need somebody to help me or I need somebody, somebody took away all my power or somebody won't give me power at my job or my family. And I realized that people didn't, couldn't, couldn't go ahead and move forward in life with any of the other tools I gave them unless they believed in themselves and they had the power and they realized that nobody's going to ever give you power. The closest you're going to come to that is maybe someone will find out that you and them can work together and maybe you and them can work together and you guys can become more powerful together. And so what, there's four parts to the book. Uh, and this is really relevant today because everybody today is really searching for how they can now shift. They are either employed and they're scared they're going to lose their job. They're an employer and they're scared they're going to lose their business. They are doing really well with their businesses right now. And they're hoping that it's not just a halo or Oprah moment. And how are they going to maximize this? Some people are coming out of school and they're saying, wait a minute, the whole world has changed. I went to school for a degree for this and now... The entire world is changing. But it all starts in four different processes on what you have to do. Number one, you have to know your why. The part of negotiation that's the most important part of negotiation is you, your why. Why are you doing this? What do you expect the outcome to be? How are you going to travel down that road to get the things that you want out of there? What are the tools you need to equip yourself with to get those results? The second part is building influence. And on Shark Tank, I believe that we've spoiled a lot of people. People believe now, because of Shark Tank, that within eight minutes, you can walk in the room and say, hello, sharks. And after that, you are rich eight minutes later because of the harsh negotiation you just had going back and forth with myself, Kevin O'Leary, Barbara, and Mark, and things of that nature. But it's not like that. Almost the first time if you ever meet anybody or negotiate with anybody, nothing comes out of it. It's really the first date. And what they do is they go back to the influence you have built, whether with them or whether with others or whether here on this little device called social media. So, number one, that is the first thing that you have to do is uh, build influence. Then you negotiate and you negotiate for what's in it for the person you're negotiating for. And 
The final one is how do you value and nurture the relationships to get 10 more deals done out of that or at least have them tell 10 more other people that you are the person that they need to have in their life and they need to work with. So I wanted people to be able to take control of their lives and really, really be able to create true change and tapping into your ability to build influence, negotiate for the things you need and want and nurture your relationships to take you where uh, you want to go. How did I do this? I am a student as well. I walked down the path and I decided to interview key people that I know and key people that I did not know to find out how they created power shifts in their life. I realized that I had gone from being a little kid who was dyslexic, who got left back with no money in the hood, uh, to who didn't go to college, to then creating a global brand. And then I shifted over there and became a New York Times bestselling author. Then I shifted again and became somebody who's been on a a television show for 11 seasons when that is only 4% of the television shows that ever existed. I also shifted to become a true uh, uh, angel investor and grow various different companies. And that is exactly what I did. And I went to study other people that did that, such as Chris Jenner, Pitbull, Lindsey Vaughn, uh, Mark Cuban. Also, the producer of Shark Tank, who's seen over 5,000 pitches. The Sharks have only seen only 1,000 of them. I also interviewed people that you would not commonly know, but they created their own power shift in their life. And uh, and one woman I'm going to give you an example of. Her name is Crystal, and uh, she uh, she worked at a college, and she decided to take maternity leave, goes home, and she has a, a premature baby. And now she's stuck at home like all of us are now. And she's raising her child. But during the time of raising her child, she decided to understand how to work virtually. Now, this is two years ago, before we were ever doing exactly what we're doing now. Why did she do that? Because she wanted to be able to add value to the university she worked at because she knew what she was going to pitch them, a negotiation. Here's how the negotiation went. Hey, you know, I worked with you, and I still want to come back after my maternity leave, but I have a premature baby. I need to stay at home to raise my child. But I learned how to work virtually, and now I can give you even more hours if you just cut some of my hours in the office, and then I'll take some of the hours at home where I can be able to over-provide for you. What would the university say? We love you, but truly, we can't do that. That's the policy here. I'm sorry. Well, she had to leave. She now works for a company named Belay. She doesn't work for the company physically. She's actually her own employer. And she gives me 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week. When this pandemic came down, I said, can you give me 45 hours a week to show my team how to work more efficiently virtually? And she works in another company, maybe 10 or 20 hours. She makes the hours up that she wants to work. She doesn't have to trek the snow or the heat or go into an office or risk herself out there with COVID. And she gets to raise her child and she's making more money now than she's ever made before in her life. And she makes up her own hours. And that is a true power shift. So we're here to talk to you about those type of ways that uh, you can create moments of true change in your life by, by identifying your why, creating influence, negotiating, and valuing the relationships. So, by the way, I want to make sure that we call out, uh, you know, um, uh, we want to call out to uh, uh, make sure you order at uh, power, orderpowershift.com. So, go to orderpowershift.com for this. And I'm actually reading my notes because I'm power shifting myself. You know, I'm not as fancy as Chase, who has all these great producers and these smart people that are younger than him. I'm the only producer in the room, so I'm operating the lights, the mics, and the strip right here. And... 
it's going to be pretty hard being dyslexic and reading it to you at the same time while trying to motivate you, but that's a power shift. And guess what's going to happen? After this, for the next 10 years of my life, whenever I'm in the studio and I don't like the way the lights look or everything else, I'm going to know how to tell people what to do. I'm going to now save time on getting things done because I had to sit here at home and learn it myself. Now, I want you to go and order powershift.com, and we have a special promo deal. If you order five copies today, uh, you will get a spot at one of my virtual roundtables with me, and you'll also be entered in for a chance to win a one-on-one -on -one call with me personally. I like that taste. You, uh, all of the wisdom in the book. I I'm, I'm holding the copy here. It's dog-eared like crazy. I want to say thank you for writing it. Um, just a quick recap, and I know you've got some special guests that you want to introduce. Um, I don't want to steal from the conversation that we're going to have after we hear from our guests. But I was especially inspired by the relationships part of the book. And I'm wondering if you can uh, go just a little bit deeper there. What, you know, people are, are people. That was, a, I think, a title of the ch one of the chapters. What do you mean by that? Because in a time like we're experiencing right now, um, we have to find different ways of connecting, different ways of forging and maintaining relationships. So I was wondering if you could talk about that through the lens of what we're experiencing right now. Yeah, so, you know, when you really look at it, you know, a lot of people think about the number and negotiations and things like that, and they don't realize we're all human and we want to um, deal with people versus what we like that we relate to, people that understand and people who we think generally care about us. And we're at a moment right now where I know that a lot of people are facing uncertainty, but the other person on the other side of the table, whether it is your boss somewhere or whether it's your potential investor, they have uncertainty too. We are at a weird time that has never happened in our generation. So even if you think somebody on the other side of the table is a gazillionaire right now, you don't know if that person has underlying issues and or they just lost somebody to this amazingly devastating situation we're in. And showing compassion and caring about that person is one of the main ways that you power shift. People too often think they can go into a room and have a negotiation and just leave because you said what you want. But the day that you start acting like you care, so there's a couple of ways you do that. You know, when you walk into a room or when you're in a virtual and you ask people how they're doing, and then also if you just get to know them, find a level of connection. Oh, well, you live in uh, Seattle. Uh, I used to go fishing out there. My family was out there or things of that nature. Also, Find what they need to complete deals or get to the next step. Often you'll go into a situation and somebody will say, well, I can't do that. And you take it personally as a no. This person doesn't value me. This person doesn't want to do something. But did you ever ask the person, how can I make that easier for you? What do I need to do to make it more interesting for you? I'll give you an example. We're going to interview somebody really amazing today that I really do respect. His name is Mark Cuban. You may have heard of him. Uh, you know, obviously the billionaire who owns the Dallas Mavs and uh, sits next to me on Shark Tank. And uh, he's also my Uber driver. Now, uh, i got to tell you something about Mark. Mark does not get on the phone for anyone. My staff was calling him because I wanted to respect our line of communication. And a lot of people are trying to get to him to be part of the book. And uh, they said, well, we can't get a hold of him. And some people took it a little personal. And I said, you can't get a hold of him on the phone, but he's answering your text because Mark doesn't text, doesn't get on the phone. Ask him, can you do the interview over text or over email? 
The interview was done within six hours of having that conversation because Mark communicates a certain way. Chase knows that I'm dyslexic, argument's sake, and my staff and everybody who is my friends on here, you know you send me long documents, you know, being dyslexic, I'll look at long documents and I will answer all the, the little snippets of things I can get an answer and I'll get tired thinking about looking at the long document. I may not get to it for a week or I may uh, not understand it well enough, but if you understand that I digest information this way and you understand how I like to work, you're going to get things done much quicker with me because you're going to say, how can I help you with that situation? Do you want me to get on the phone and run through it with you? So people are people. And so whether you're caring about them personally and then you are uh, talking to them and finding that that moment of reality with them that you guys and girls can both share or you're understanding how they digest information or the problem that they're having, these are ways that you create true power because powership doesn't mean just for you. If you have a staff, you have to give them power. I love to employ people that are smarter than me. I am Batman at my company. They are Robin, but most of the time I'm Robin and they are Batman because I should not have hired you if you are not smarter than me. Power shift is giving other people the power as well, and in return, they will kill for you. They will fight for you. They will be that person on social media that retweets, regrams, and tells everybody that they should check you out. And that is the form of why people are people in the PowerShip chapter. It's no secret when you really distill it and boil it down, but I think it's so many people get lost in the fact that they think it's about their their you know the company attributes and they think it's about the um the bottom line and they think it's about um so many things that they see on a show like shark tank or that they picture in their mind but at the core so much of this is relationship based and that's what i took out of the book i mean even what you just shared i'm, I'm going early on in i think it's page five in the book here you know, we're talking about without the ability to shift power from other people to myself and from myself to other people. That's a give and take relationship. And a lot of people um, that I've come across in business misunderstand that. And what I learned from you is there's this relationship building process. The reason you know how Mark likes to receive information or the reason that I know not to send you a long text, I'm like one sentence bullet point, is because there's an actual relationship there and, and, and it's not transactional. Um, anything else you want to say about that before we, uh, I know you've got some esteemed guests waiting in the wings here, but I, I wanted to hear one last piece from you on, uh, on, on how to forge those relationships, especially in a time like we're experiencing right now. What are you doing? Yeah, so yeah, a little bit I want to add to that is I, I like to tell people, you know, um, you know, your resume uh, is great, and uh, you know, so if you come to my office for looking for a, a, an opportunity, a job, or you walk in front of me in a Shark Tank, and uh, you know, I'm considering investing in you. Going back to the people thing, the reality is your resume just walks you in the door. After that, is do I like you? Period. Can I relate to you? Can I sit next to you for eight hours a day, five days a week for the next five years of my life? Uh, can I invest in you? And I found that most of my investments, if the people, or whether they didn't like me, I'm human. Maybe I was uh, inappropriate in some way. Maybe they caught me at a bad time and I did uh, ignore them and they never understood, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, why, what I was going through. And every time there was a problem in the company or the situation, we wouldn't get on the phone. So it never got resolved. And I'm not saying a problem between me and that person. There was just a problem that, could exist.
but the people I like, you know what happened? We got on and we said, uh, you know, listen, uh, those partners would say, I tried eight things. They didn't really work. I got two other things. What do you think we should do? And we would learn together. And if that business failed, we'd be friends regardless, and we'd start another business. And I want to shout out to uh, Antonio and Monique and Brian for ordering their copies already. Wait a minute. I need um, I need some. I don't even have my own copy in my hand. I'm on my, I'm, I'm on my, I'm my own producer. Honey, babe, Heather, give me a copy of my book, please. <laughs> And some meatloaf. <laughs> so, you know, being a producer, you gotta, you know, you gotta do your own things around here. So, um, uh, yeah. So, so absolutely. So, th those are some of the points, uh, Chase. And of course, uh, remember, everybody, please, uh, uh, special order. Go to uh, orderpowershift.com, orderpowershift.com, and if you order five copies tonight, you'll get an exclusive access to a digital roundtable with me. Oh my! Oh my! Other producer just came in here with my book. Come here! Come here, baby! Come here! Oh, there you go. That's my other producer. Thank you. All right. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> everybody working here. It's a team. I love it. Um, I love it, man. A family that works together, stays together. Um, my hope is, again, I want to just call out orderpowershift.com. And we are broadcasting live to all sorts of different platforms right now, creativelive.com slash TV. Somebody there, please put that uh, that link, orderpowershift.com, in the comments there. Same if you're on Damon's LinkedIn channel. Uh, please, why don't you type that in there for everyone. The comments are coming so fast. And, and Damon, I want to let you know, we've got people tuned in from New Zealand, from Australia, from Saudi Arabia, from uh, Ireland, the UK, New York, New Jersey. Wow. Uh, ooh, we have a Japan? Wow. Right. Okay. Um, I didn't know. Okay. That's cool. Um, anyway, the short version is we've got people coming from all over the world who are looking to shift their power. And again, if you're just joining us, go to our orderpowershift.com to get your copy or five. So that you I can... remember the copy. They are autographed. Ooh. So they're going to be autographed personally. That's a big deal. Um, well, we just spent the last few minutes talking about people. Uh, I love your point of view there. And by my understanding, you have a couple people that you'd like to bring on to today's show. You already hinted at one, Mr. Mark Cuban, your dear friend from Shark Tank, the billionaire, mutual friend, I'll say. I really like and appreciate and I've learned a lot from Mark over the years. Um, I know we've got a, um, a segment from him coming up, and then after that, a segment from one of your investments, the guys from Bombas. Can you give us a little overview before you uh, send this over to Mr. Mark Cuban? Yeah, so um, we, we got we got a great interview with Mark. We're talking about going through the situation now and what he looks for out there. And also, you know, because Mark has so many fast companies, uh, you know, he's going to give us insight on where he had power shifted initially in his life. And again, just like my interviews in the book, I still learn more about people every single time that I talk to him. And uh, he has given me a vast amount of insight on uh, certain things that he did in his life at the earlier stages and actually, as he reflects as well, I mean, one of the questions, I'm going to wait for you to listen to the answer, but one of the questions I asked him was, you know, when you had had your biggest deal, and that could have been 20 years ago, whenever he had the big billion-dollar sale, um, when you reflect back now, you know, knowing even more, do you think that you should have went into that deal, and with the tools you have now, could you have gotten more? And you were going to find an extremely, extremely valuable answer that I was actually shocked at. 
Um, and then again after that, stay tuned. You want me to tell who our next guest is going to be after that? Yeah, yeah. Just why don't you give a, a little preview for folks at home, and then of okay. course we'll give you a minute to introduce them in between the two uh, the two interviews. But if you want to give us a preview, we'd love to hear from you. So my following guest after that is going to be the number one invested product in Shark Tank history. That it means like no other product has ever done this amount of sales, but more importantly, help that amount of people with every sale. Now, the number one product to ever come on Shark Tank was something called Ring. Don't confuse it because they did not get an investment, but they ended up doing extremely well and and and. Was yeah, Jamie is absolutely amazing. Um, but this is the number one invested Shark Tank product, and I was the one who did the investment. And the, and I'm going to be very honest. I went in and did this investment only because I liked the guys. I never thought it would ever do well. And what can you learn from this? Sometimes the buyer, the boss, the husband, the other person on the other side of the table doesn't know what they want until you present it to them. Because if they knew what they wanted, then there would be no reason for you, right? And these guys, they make socks, Bombas socks. And why can and why and how can you be uh, inspired by that? Because they didn't put a new valve on a heart. It's not a new air brake for a plane. It is socks, and they have made a massive amount of change and money. And the second most uh, value, the second most, uh, the, be the second best product in Shark Tank history is a sponge. So everybody home right now who's overthinking what you need to do, you probably have right now your fingertips are right around you something that you love that you feel could be improved. And the Bombers guys are going to show you how to do that. Awesome. So we're going to cut first to Mark Cuban, then we'll come back for a little little, little break so you can reintroduce the Bombas folks. And for those of you just joining us, I'm sitting here. I'm Chase Jarvis, the founder of Creative Live. Have the good opportunity to host my dear friend, the legendary entrepreneur and author of his new book, Power Shift, Mr. Damon John in the house. Uh, I know we've got you coming in from all over the world. Again, people coming. I just got all 50 states shouted out in about 45 seconds while we were there, while you were talking, Damon. Um, literally all corners of the globe. And I want to remind you that we're hearing from you know Mr. Damon John right now. We're going to have a couple of interviews. Then there's going to be a Q&A where, where Damon and I are going to, sorry, there's, there's a question or a conversation where Damon and I are going to talk through some of the key aspects of the book. And then the last 15 or 20 minutes of this show is going to be reserved for your questions. So right now there's all kinds of comments coming in here telling us where you're at. Start thinking about a question that if you have, wherever you are sitting at home, you know, in your bathrobe, uh, what question, if you had some time with Mr. Damon John, what would you ask him? Because that's coming up right after these two videos and a short conversation between Damon and I. So uh, if you're okay with it, Damon, maybe we send it off to your conversation with Mr. Mark Cuban. Anything to add before we go? Oh no no no! This one I'm excited. I'm like, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna watch it time and time again myself. I keep learning. Let's go. All right, let's uh, take it away. You always say you're the luckiest guy in the world, and I don't want people to get spoiled by thinking you were the luckiest guy in the world because luck just came out of nowhere. And when you were creating all these type of positionings of yourself and brands to be able to now that I even this is new information. That's why I love walking down these interviews, learning that you had these various different amount of exits, and let's say leading up to the $6 billion exit, did you know that you were 
putting these things in play to create an exit or create this thing bigger? Was there a method to your madness? No, no, man. It was just like my first company, Micro Solutions, I'd gotten fired. And I was, you know, sleeping on the floor, six guys in a three-bedroom apartment, literally mustard and ketchup sandwiches. So I had no choice. So there was no method to the madness at all. It was like, I remember talking to one of my guys. He's like, well, you can go on unemployment. I'm like, no, nah, I can't, I can't, I can't. I got to start a business. And um, that's what I did. And it just, just started going, man. I remember going to my, just talking to as many people as I could and networking and finally found this one company who offered to put up 500 bucks um, so that I could buy this piece of software for 250. And I told them if it didn't work, I'd walk your dog, I'd wash your car, I'd sweep your floors, whatever to make it up to you. But I made it work. And then from there, I just took, took referrals from them and kept on going. And it turned into a $30 million revenue business that I sold um, to H&R Block CompuServe for um, $6 million, seven years later. And then from there, it was like, okay, I got my little nest egg. And because I knew technology, I started trading stocks. And I just killed it. Killed it. I mean, I was making millions back in the early wow. 90s. And one of my... Um, one of my brokers said, you know what, you should do a hedge fund because I was making 80, 90, 100% a year. And I was like, okay. So we started this hedge fund and within a year I sold it. And so, and then from there, I was just like, okay, let's go. And all I did was have fun. Um, but then we started AudioNet in 1995 when the internet was just getting going and we were the, pretty much the first to put audio or any media on the internet. And I remember then I knew that had a chance to be big. But it wasn't like I was planning for an exit. This was before even the internet stock market was going nuts. It was more like, okay, you know, in my first company, Micro Solutions, we made money every single month because my expenses were so low, you know. And then the second one, we made money. And then this one, I was trying to do it the same way. Um, but, you know, then the, the internet stock market took off. And then it got to the point where it wasn't so much thinking about exits. It was more thinking about, okay, how big can we make this thing? Because we think we can be the new type of table, cable TV. And, you know, but when Yahoo came along and made us an offer we couldn't refuse, we grabbed it. So there wasn't some big master plan. Right, but you know what, I got and maybe you're too close to it because I have rarely been able to exit from any of my companies. A lot of people think I sold Fubu and I didn't. I sold a very portion of it to like, uh, I sold the territories of China. Um, oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, Philippines, right? But to have two and three exits, uh, and we get people on the show all the time or in person, yeah, I'm gonna get this coming, then I'm gonna sell it. And I don't see often a lot of exits. Is this the exits because they were more tech exits? Uh, I mean, one was a hedge fund. But is it that the exits were easier because that's how uh, tech is really the kind of business where you are absorbing as many as you can to have so many more tentacles or tools? Or is it that you, know, you just set it up well enough to be able to present it to somebody well enough? Because sometimes on the show, you know, you ask the question, how are your records being kept? How is this and that? Because people come with a, a, a bucket. Yeah, a shoebox, like, yeah. yeah. Right? So is there, a, is there advice that you can give people on yes, I mean, prepping themselves accordingly? I, I, I didn't plan for exits in any of them. What, what really made it work for me was the industries I was in, I was usually the first. Like when I started the first one, after I got fired, I started saying, okay, I'm going to figure out how to connect these PCs together. And that was back in the day when people didn't connect into local area networks, something that seems normal now, right? So we were doing what's called systems integration, 
but we were the first and we were one of the largest in the country to do it um, for our, our niche. And so that's why someone was interested in buying us. When I did the hedge fund, again, it was like I knew technology stocks and we were doing so well that it gave someone was actually able to buy my track record and that's why they bought us. And then the third one with AudioNet, we're the first to do streaming, you know? Right. And so we saw streaming as the future of, of media. And when Yahoo wanted to get into that, I mean, we were Pandora, Spotify, YouTube, all rolled into one. And so, right. you know, it was, the exits came because we were the first to do something, one of the biggest, if not the biggest to do it, and bigger companies who wanted that skill set um, acquired us. Now for other folks, you know, getting acquired isn't, isn't just about scale, but it's about having an edge. It's about having something that differentiates you. It may be trademarks. It may be, you know, um, some skill. It may be um, a product that you have that's unique, but you're going to have to have something that that big company can't just create for themselves or buy somewhere else. Now, looking back 20 years ago, if you can go back in time now with all the all the more life and negotiation experiences that you've had now, if you were back in that room with Yahoo, with all the things you know now, do you think it would have been a different outcome, good, bad, or indifferent? No, because the thing about negotiating a good deal, you don't have to get everything. You say this all the time, right? Right. I mean, you know, when you, when you have a deal, usually both sides are li don't think they got everything they wanted, and that's okay. And that's the way it was. Neither one of us got everything we wanted, but I wasn't going to get greedy because once you try to get everything out of a deal, that's when deals fall apart. Before I knew you, I knew of you, of course. And um, you were and are a pop culture kind of guy. People know Mark Cuban, the, the billionaire, but they also knew of or heard of you throwing chairs on the court. <laughs> and being, and I, I don't even know if you ever did that, but, you know, the story no. got bigger and bigger and bigger. You threw a chair, then you threw a person, and then you threw, you know, <laughs> story. Um, and I know that earlier on in your career, you're very passionate about your team, and you're right down there, and you show that you're willing to do whatever needs to be done. But earlier in your career as a, a NBA owner, you got, a, you got a bad rap as far as I'm concerned, but knowing you now. But I think I shared, I talked to you about that, and you said, well, you came in there as an owner and you said, I can do what I want. It's my team. And then you learned that you were more of, you know, kids were looking up to you and things like that. But tell me that story because it shows people how your reputation, your influence can go on negatively, positively, but also you got to work on it and adjust to it, you sure. know, when you understand the responsibility at hand. So when I bought the team, you know, everybody's like, you got to act like all the other owners. And I was like, why would I do that? I mean, the way I've run companies has worked for me. You know, the, I've started two companies prior to that, three companies, and I, I've built them. They've all been successful, and I sold them all. You know, so why wouldn't I use the same skill set to run the Mavericks? And that's what I did, and it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, you know, particularly a lot of people, uh, not, not just other owners, but, you know, in the sports world, there's a lot of close connections between ownership you know, management and media. And so the media would just crush me all the time. So that, that was one part of it. And I just didn't care on that part. But to your point, like, for whatever reason, like, you know me, DJ, I'm, I'm mellow, right? You, you don't see me get all fired up. And you don't see me yelling and screaming. I don't get mad at anybody. But you put me in the middle of a game, for whatever reason, I'm screaming and yelling. That's, that's the on. one place where I let it all out. And, you know, where I get really passionate and emotional. And I guess that's my release. 
But I, you know, at the beginning, I would curse at the refs, and then I would find out there'd be kids all around me, and then it got me upset that I was cursing, you know, just firing away. And these kids, you know, I, I would have these parents walk up to me, you can't curse, and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and but you learn, right? Uh, and so I figured out real quickly that, you know, I was still going to yell. That's just the way I am. You know, that's my one place to get out my aggression. But I stopped cursing. You, you know, there'd be times when I'm about to yell stuff that I shouldn't. And I, now I catch myself. And probably, you know, I've owned the team now for 20 years. For probably the last 17 years, I've been good at that. But, you know, like you said, some stories get blown out of proportion. And, and everybody's got a story to tell. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Well, what I took, what I took from that when you had that conversation with me is that you did say that kids are looking up to you. And, you know, um, you're representing the city and the town. Yeah, and, and exactly you, right. You, you, bigger obligation that you are glad to take on and you know that has built you to be even a, a better pop culture figure in yeah and you know lives. to your point you know I, I learned quickly you know sometimes the hard way that you know sports is so big bigger than I ever imagined and you know kids do look up to you kids do look up to the players and you're not no one's perfect and fans don't expect you to be perfect but, you know, when you have a chance to be nice, when you have a chance to do the right thing, when you have a chance to be supportive, when you have the chance to do something in the community, when you have a chance to help people in the hospitals or the frontline workers now, you know, a, a sports team is a great way to do it. And I had to recognize that if I was going to fit into that and people wanted me to help them, right, if I was going to be a jerk, people wouldn't want me to help them, that I would have to adjust and, and recognize that, you know, there were kids always watching and how I carried myself you know, particularly not just during the game, but particularly outside of the games, that was very important because I had to be able to connect and relate if I was going to help people. Yeah, is, is there any other power shift you're making today? I know that you've been getting extremely fit, so that's a power shift, taking care of your health way before this, you know, pandemic came around. But what other power shift you're making today, if any? Yeah, I'm trying to help in the community. You know, um, one of my friends said to me, none of us can be heroes unless we're all heroes. You know, this only works unless we all protect each other. Um, um, and so I'm trying to just be out there and help the first responders, help healthcare workers, help people in the community, help local businesses, just because, I mean, this is a struggle for everybody and, and we're really blessed in our ability to help people. And so that, that's really been my focus, helping small businesses and help people who, who need help. Amazing words of wisdom from Mr. Mark Cuban and yourself, Damon John. If uh, you're just joining, I'm Chase Jarvis, founder and uh, CEO of Creative Live. I have the good uh, fortune of, of hosting uh, a show today with the one and only Mr. Damon John, my partner here uh, on the split screen. And just a reminder, if you are interested in asking questions, Mr. John, we can do that in any of the comments where you're watching this right now. I will take some of those questions and share them uh, with the world audience here and most importantly with Mr. Damon John. But we got people coming from like literally every corner of the globe. I'm seeing South Africa, Canada, Mexico. Uh, I got yeah. four or five different people in Asia. I got Scandinavia. Um, I don't, it's a very impressive audience you've got there, Mr. Uh, Mr. Damon John. I don't know. I think it's you, but regardless, I think that we're all on the same page, right? No matter where you are in the globe, we're all going through the same thing, and we're gonna we're gonna find ways to solve the problem. These are problem solvers, and I, I want to make sure that I shout out Brian and Colin and Samantha and Michelle and all the others who uh, will be sitting with me at my round table. Thank you so much for ordering the books, and thank you for going to orderpowershift.com. And uh, if you don't know and you just did tune in, you'll get your autographed copy. Uh, you know, and if you get your autographed copy, but if you order five copies tonight, 
you're going to get exclusive access to a digital roundtable with me, and one will be entered for a one-on-one -on -one call with yours truly so we can talk about how we're going to make a big pile of shit in our lives. Awesome. Um, so we got the overview from you. We had a good chance uh, to hear from you and Mr. Cuban. Uh, love some of those stories. And I understand you've got another guest you want to introduce. Uh, you, you hinted at it earlier. It's the guys from Bomba Socks. Uh, give us a little bit of, uh, of an intro there, and then we can cut away to a conversation with those cats. Yeah, Dave and Randy, they found that there was a need out there in the market that, uh, that uh, not that they were trying to fulfill and make any money, but they saw that homeless people really had a big, and the homeless shelters, they had a big demand for socks because uh, obviously, besides other issues, homeless had a big uh, problem with their feet and having clean socks and, and clean feet, uh, and they would catch other infections and things of that nature. And they did the power of rope, first of all. Uh, I don't need to go through it in that interview, but the power of rope, where they do? They looked at all the emails that they ever received, all the email addresses that they ever received, and they sent out a simple email saying, hey, I'm thinking about starting this company where I will, every time I buy a pair, every time somebody buys a pair of socks, I will give a pair away to those who are less fortunate. Do you think this is a good idea? And, you know, when people, there's a big saying, if you ask for advice, you get money. You ask for money, you get advice. Half those people on those emails answered back, hey, I don't even know you like that. Leave me alone. And half of people said, absolutely. Where can I start and how can I start supporting you? So anyway, that's the part, first part of their story. They go on the Shark Tank and they understand and they really do their homework on how to pitch your deal. And then I'm going to let them take it away now uh, uh, with the rest of the interview where you will find some really great nuggets on how you can apply these things to your life that they do and create that power shift. Here we go. We, you know, throughout the entire process, we were kind of, we had a lot of humility about the fact that we're like, I don't know, I don't think we're going to end up on the show. Like, let's just keep running our business as normal. Um, but once things started to, you know, once there was some momentum around, you know, getting, you know, working with the producers and feeling like there was a bigger chance that we we're going to end up on the show, you know, we did what I think, you know, most people should do, right? We did our homework. Um, we were fans of Shark Tank from season one. Um, we'd seen every single episode, but we went back and we watched the episodes of the people that we thought performed the best. And the worst. And then the ones that performed the worst. And, you know, we tried to identify what were the common questions that were being asked, right? And we kind of, we ended up with the spreadsheet of 100, uh, 300 questions and we wrote out 300 answers. And we said, okay, if this shark asks, I mean, we kind of role played every scenario possible because the one we knew that we couldn't control getting a deal, but the one thing we knew we could control not looking like idiots on television. And so, like that, right. that was the bar that we like could not go below. And so we, prepared. <laughs> we did our we did our homework and our research, and you know, we came into the tank really prepared. One thing I think people maybe don't realize. The benefit of going through that process, even if you don't end up on the on air, and even if you don't get filmed, and you know they tell us, thirty thousand companies apply, one hundred and seventy get filmed, and a hundred make it on air for the season, and you realize the math is really stacked against you. But the process of going through what Dave said we went through, asking the hard questions, surfaced things that we needed to answer about our business that we hadn't been addressing, and just the fact that we were potentially going on TV in front of you and in front of the other sharks made us sharpen our pencils a little bit 
and think about some of the questions <clears throat> that were going to impact our business in the long term that we hadn't been addressing that we needed to address. And I think it's sort of an accelerated course for your business that's sort of self-taught. Just the idea that it's real and that you might be going on Shark Tank very much helped our business. You guys are so laser focused and, and I loved it. I love that about you because, you know, like, I think a power shift also is to be laser focused. A lot of people want to be everything to everybody. They want to move so fast. But every single time that I've seen you guys, uh, you know, you guys were, were your noses to the grind. You were so busy trying to just make the best of what you could do. And, you know, especially you got to have that designer blood in you to say, well, I want to make a million different types and this and that. but or a million different, I want to move to, to coats afterwards or to hats. And I know that you slowly have now moved into T-shirts and, and things of that nature because it was obviously heavily requested from you. But what gave you the patience? What gave you the, the discipline to be so focused just on your consumer and on this one product for like three years at least? At least you were just trying to perfect that. And it, did you... Did somebody tell you don't, you know, because, you know, don't do other things or like, did you learn? Like, how did you stay so disciplined? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I think you hit on a point, you know, the idea of, of not, of seeing something and taking it down and focusing, there's a power shift in that idea of like, right, for us taking the idea of when we find out that donations are an afterthought and then it makes us realize what's going on in the actual marketplace for the product and then learning that and feeling that idea and knowing that we had a huge opportunity and that we needed to get ahead in that in our category that really made us focus and 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 then we also you know even though we were very focused we strayed a couple times and we tried some things and whenever we lost our focus we quickly realized that we were doing a disservice to the thing that we started and to the mission of the company. Having that mission of wanting to help out and wanting to donate millions of pairs of socks is extremely motivating and extremely focusing because anytime we would try and see some shiny object off on the side that seemed interesting and related to our business, if we couldn't figure out a way for that to impact our mission, we couldn't really justify doing it. So having that in the background of our, of our minds at all times really kept us focused and also seeing businesses that we had participated in in the past who had not stayed focused who had lost their way by trying to do too much too soon or to be too much to diff two different many people we've all seen that right you see a million yeah. businesses that try things and then you know you don't want that from them because they're you're used to this from them and you have to be able to evolve and change as a business but you have to do it at the right pace and you have to do it at the right speed and i always say to people listen if you're not sick of saying the message and the lines and the ideas that make Bombas Bombas, then you're not saying it enough because nobody else is hearing it as much as we are. So you really just have to, have to pound it, pound it into people's minds, pound it into people's brains. That's what success looks like. It's grinding it out day after day. Yeah, I, mean, I think the, you know, the two other things is that, you know, we also looked at the brands that we admired the most. And I think the one commonality that we saw with all of them is that they all started with one product, right? They all started with one thing that they became really well known for and earned the right to go into other products. And, yeah, you know, totally. again, we looked at, you know, th these brands that 
were, you know, the Nikes and the Lululemons and the Apples and the Under Armors of the world, you know, are all brands that were built over decades, right? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they want, they're like, oh, I want to build a brand overnight, right? I want to go out and raise a ton of money and, you know, just pour money at it. And and you see a lot of those companies that took that strategy are are all, you know, hurting, right? Because, you know, certain point that kind of that steam runs out and you know you've built a big brand but you haven't built it on the fundamentals of a good business you know and, and to your point before you know the idea of staying focused you know if you want to get good at anything right if you spread yourself too thin and try to do too many things at once it's like whether it's a sport or a musical instrument or any hobby if you try to, if you do that thing every day and you keep practicing, you get really, really, it's the idea of the 10,000 hours, right? To become an expert. We knew that if we stayed really focused on socks and the messaging around the homeless community, that, you know, we'd have a much better chance of survival because our customers would be able to go out there and tell that same story rather than, oh, I think, I don't know, they, they do they do hats and then I think this kind of, they do gloves. I don't really know what the, you know, but I know they do something with somebody, you know, it's right. like not yeah. a common story. Um, whereas we know our customers, you know, over the years, you know, they can, we've always been amazed that when we meet our customers, they recite kind of our founding story back to us as if we were saying it ourselves. And that I think is a good mark of, you know, staying focused. What are people, what should people do today right now who are either saying I'm out of a job or I'm working someplace on somebody else's dream or you know what, even if I do have my job, I still want to start something because I need, I, I, I want to be part of a solution. Yeah. What do you think they should, they should do right now? Yeah, I, I think some of the advice that I give to anybody at any point in time that, that wants to become an entrepreneur, you know, this is you know, it, it's similar, again, you go back to this idea of like practice, right? It, it's not something that you just fall into and become overnight instantly, right? It's a muscle that you have to train, or at least, you know, in, in our experience, you know, again, in the six years that we were working together, I think we probably had come up with 50 or 60 different ideas. Um, and the idea is that you've got to start training your mind to look at the world through a lens of problem solving, right? You go around and you say, you you go through your daily tasks, right? And constantly, and and whenever you find frustration in anything, you got to ask yourself, is there a way that this can be done better? Whether it's through a product, whether it's through technology, whether it's through a service, you know, if you're finding that there's something that you are missing, or there's some inconvenience or frustration in your life, try to look at it in the lens of opportunity rather than frustration, right? And say, how can I potentially make this better? And is there a business here? Most of the time there's not, right? And it's just like, you know, it's just the way the world is, but it only takes that one time, right? And anytime there, you think that there is a possibility, go down the rabbit hole, right? Start exploring it and start to train your muscle as to what it, what it's like, start to ask other people, Hey, do you have this problem? Right. And start to just, you know, change your behavioral mentality. You know, it's, it's, I always love the idea that, you know, in music, there's no such thing as an overnight success, right? People think that, oh, this person got discovered, but no, that person was practicing the guitar. They were singing for, you know, years and years and years and years. They were playing in, you know, coffee shops or, you know, at, you know, little fairs and festivals. They were grinding it out. And this goes back to your last book of kind of rise and grind. Like you got to grind this out. Um, 
and, and you know, put the effort in. It doesn't just fall in your lap. No, no, I totally agree. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta you yeah. I, I think that's the best way I've ever heard it explained. It's a muscle, right? That you gotta keep working on. And I think before I came up with Google, I had a hundred different ideas. And there's that one that because you went down the rabbit hole a little bit on this one, a little bit on this one. When you start going further down the rabbit hole on this, you have this level of confidence because you're like, wait a minute, I'm unraveling more. I'm understanding more. This is feeling better because you took those other journeys right amazing so good to hear from david and randy and uh their lessons uh in in work and life and especially how to position and pitch their product on shark tank i know you love those guys um you can tell you as a relationship and it does you know it does tie indirectly back into the book um before we shift into a conversation more holistically about the book damon uh, anything, you know, any exclamation points you want to put on your conversation with those guys? Yeah, you know, I just wanted to, uh, I hope people picked up how prepared they were to pitch. Uh, not only to who they were pitching to, but the faults and the other things that people had made prior to that. And I know that a lot of times you don't get that opportunity because uh, what other people have been pitched has not been broadcasted on national television. But what kind of research and homework can you do to understand like uh, the best way you can present something and they were meticulous with it they came in and remember they said we watched the most commonly asked things we knew what shark wanted what what shark wanted this and the things that put everybody you know you know like on the edge who you know if you said something crazy to us the exact thing that would turn us off so how can you do your research on anything that you're doing in any target that you're about to pitch to Amazing lessons. Amazing. And uh, again, if you're just now joining us um, with Damon John and we're talking about his new book, Power Shift, you can get that at orderpowershift.com. Um, I have a, a handful of questions uh, around the book, having digested it. I mentioned before all the I'll share all the, the dog ears and the, the uh, fo folded pages um, of the advice that you've given. One of the things that I appreciate the most is this framework. And and. Maybe uh, our, our technician can bring up that slide that you had earlier in the presentation, the power shift framework, um, starting off with identifying your why. Can you just walk us through how you thought of this framework and what the pieces are? Sure. Um, a lot of people just don't know their why. And I open up the book with me having a very uh, challenging situation going on in my life, and I wanted to uh, know my why, right? Because uh, the framework really is... After you understand your why, then you put the other three together, the building influence, the negotiation, and the, uh, the relationships. But they all work together. But I'll give you simple examples. <clears throat> I use this all the time. You know, I always say that people come to me and say, I want to be a millionaire. And uh, I, mean, I, I, you, you know, um, I just want to make money. I wish I had a million dollars. And I go, well, why? What would you do with the million dollars? And I say, would you buy a Bugatti? Well, that's a million too. You wouldn't be able to afford that. Will you buy 10 cars that are depreciating assets? Will you maybe move to Bali and car canoes uh, and live off $30,000 a year and save the turtles and do that for 10 years? And now you spent 360000 of the million, but the other 640, you put them in long-term bonds and or the market and you invested in some great new tech coming up and you come back, you're in the best shape ever. You feel like you have had the longest vacation ever, and in the bank is $3 million. 
when you buy 10 income producing properties and Airbnb them out, whatever the case is, do you know your why? And so many people don't know their why. They find out that they're doing it to satisfy a bunch of other people on Instagram that you really don't even like, or that you're doing it because society told you, or you are doing it because you truly do want to change the world. You do want to give your family the best education and access to the best medicine and living in the good community so they can get a great education. But a lot of people don't know their why. And once you know your why, you know the influence and it dictates what you want to do in life. It really says to you, if this is what you want to do, well, this is the person you need to be because these are the people you need to attract. And then after that, if you know the people you need to attract, those are the people you're going to negotiate with. And those are relationships you're going to build over the course of 10, 20 and hopefully you live to be 100 years old. Then they all work together. But if you don't know your why, you're already starting off in a really bad step. Um, great, great uh, way of shaping that up. I think, um, you know, having spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs, having pitched venture capitalists, um, having had some successes and losses, I can always trace it back to what's my motivation for doing something. And I think you hit on a really important part is so many people want to be a million, want to have a million dollars or want to have a Bugatti um, for somebody else, for some other, for their parents or their, their peers or their, their friends or, or spouse, partner or whatever. I'm wondering, most of the people that I find have been truly successful and fulfilled, not just success because success without fulfillment is tragic, right? Because you have all the things, but nothing, no one to share it with. Um, talk about the role in understanding your why of potentially disappointing some really important people in your life. Like maybe your mom wants you to be a lawyer and you want to be that person who, you know, carves canoes in Bali. Um, talk about your own experience and, and what advice you might give some other folks um, who are afraid to who are afraid to go for it, their true passion and vision for their life, afraid of disappointing others. And I can understand that. And a lot of times what you need to do with your why is if that is your mother or your significant other or the people you truly value in your life, first of all, analyze them. What is their why for wanting you to do this or not do that? They may be truly just afraid and scared and they don't want you to do this because they don't want to see the ones they love hurt. They don't want to see the ones they love took an education for four years, and now all of a sudden you want to do something absolutely different. So analyze the people around you. Also analyze where they're at in their life. They could be people that never have been successful because, and we are not talking about money being successful. They, have been, they could be somebody who always been miserable because they were always trying to please others, and you wish they didn't do that, and they took care of themselves first. Once you analyze that, then you analyze the people that you should talk to or the aspects of life you should talk to them about. Because being an entrepreneur or being a human being or being a charitable person, it's a team sport. When you have this why now, you talk to people and understand how it fulfills them or where they're afraid of. And you walk them, let them feel like they're part of the process of doing these things with you. But you have to be able to be happy with yourself. You will never be proficient and you will never be successful if you aren't happy with what you're doing. I see so many uh, entrepreneurs who start out businesses who are 60 years old. The reason they started, they go, listen, I realized I was doing everything for everybody else in this amount of time. And now I can finally do something with myself. 
and they want to now change the world at that age. And that's great. I mean, look, look you know, I joke, but I'm serious. Warren Buffett is still making long-term investments. Warren Buffett is 7,000 years old, but he knows his why. He knows he loves not the investment and the money, because we all know he gave away half or all his money at one time. He loves the development of things. He loves figuring it out. He loves changing the world. He loves a lot of different things. So that's a real, uh, you know, going all around to say, basically, when you have your team, the team you trust, break it down and where they add value, where they may not be of value. Explain to them what you want to do. You're going to probably either get pushback or great feedback. Some people you will be surprised are going to say, thank God, because the thing you were doing, I was supporting you because I love you to death, but I knew it was never you. And first, talk to people, especially entrepreneurs. Remember, there's a lot of different issues we have as entrepreneurs before a global pandemic, right? You couldn't tell anybody your problems, right? Everybody thought you walked on water. You had to listen to everybody else's problems. All your finances were at risk, and your family was stressed. And now look at where we're at. Everybody's stressed. So I want you to make sure you find your why and talk to people. And this is a good time to discover why were you going to work every single day? Why were you not? Why did you start this business? Why did you not start a business? Today, right now, is the best time to discover your why because everybody in the world wants to know their why. Often we need a little bit of space in order to discover that because we're so trapped in the day-to-day, -day, the hamster wheel that we're all on trying to make ends meet and show up for ourselves and our family and our friends. And it's my hope, you know, we can both, we're, we're humans have this capacity, the capacity to, it's okay to, to grieve for the losses and the struggles that the world's going through right now. As you said a number of times, we're all in this together. We can both acknowledge that pain and and look for the silver lining and look for some positives. And to me, this time is so valuable if you use it wisely, if you have the opportunity to use it wisely, because there's so much noise in all of our culture. Is there anything that you are coaching the people that, um, you know, subscribe to Damon on demand or any advice that you're giving for uh, how if, if how people can make specific use of the time we have now, the down or the quiet time during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, 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 first of all, you know, if you're thinking about your staff and people around you, tap into them, ask them what's going on, if they have any ideas and things of that nature. But write down your priorities, write down, and I like to, I, I like to go and do a method that Barbara Corcoran taught me. She writes down the things she wants to do in priorities, A priorities, B priorities, because she knows that she wants to do a thousand things, right? So, but let the B stand, you know, a little bit lower than the A and get to the A's. And then she also writes down on this list of things that she hates. She digs into the why. Why do I hate it? Is it because of the person attached to it? Did I make a wrong decision? Is it something that I find difficult? Can I outsource it? Can I get rid of that person causing the problem? Can I bring new people in? And it's not always about uh, money and resources. It could be personal relationships. And then she goes to her list of A's that she wants to do, and she knocks those down as much as she can. If she gets to the B's, she gets to the B's, but she says half the time, the B's kind of just fall away because she realized they were not as important as the A's. So now you start to prioritize the things you do. Now, start to look at your Rolodex and your contacts. What does your Rolodex and contacts mean? The people you already have relationships with. Listen, two months ago, half the people you want to talk to on trains, planes, and automobiles, and they couldn't listen to things you were doing. They may have been too busy and they were on their own projects. 
You know where all of, they, all of them are right now. They're home arguing with their significant other with a remote control in their hand, looking on what to do to get the hell out of this situation. Also, you can talk to them. A lot of times they wouldn't do Zoom meetings and, uh, and, and all these other forms. Now people are doing it because they're getting used to doing it. If you want to start up right now, you don't need an office anymore. Think about how much you just save on needing an office and various other things. You can start your startup right now or your current company. You can reduce so many things to then concentrate on what you do best. So remember, PowerShiftYourLife.com has a free workbook resource for identifying your why. That is, go to PowerShiftYourLife.com and it has a free workbook, uh, workbook resource for identifying your why. And in the book, PowerShift, I have a bunch of other links that will give you these type of books to identify your why, to understand negotiations and other things. But yes, that's what I tell people right now, Chase. I tell people, listen, we're all in it together. And of course, we're all looking for ways to succeed. And let's look at the good. The good is a lot of things have been cut. And what is the bad? There are some gray areas out there, but that's what true entrepreneurs do. We figure these things out. And that's why in the book PowerShift, I show you 12 subjects who went from this industry to this industry to this industry and just figured things out. Just like Chase. If you know Chase, he figured things out. He went from one industry that was very, very fulfilling for most of us. And he said, I was fulfilled and it's time to move on. And that's what people do. They power shift. It's true. I'm. I kept seeing that in, in reading the book and feeling like that's basically, I didn't know your formula for it, but I was sort of following my own intuition and just so happens that, you know, the roadmap that you laid out in this book, when I look backwards, that's exactly what I did. It was awkward and not linear and not pretty for uh, those around me, but I ended up at a place that I, I really loved it. And had I, re had I read your book, you probably could have saved me couple of years and certainly a lot of money but uh so you know what i don't think so you know, you know I, I think i go through our same way but i think that if people are going to analyze and i'm going to give you one quick story chase you know i and i just reflected on this the other day about this this story and i put it on social media i think but you know when i was a kid growing up in hip-hop um we, i didn't have any money but you know the hip-hop break dancers and stuff like you know we used to have to tailor our clothes like i talked to you about with my sneakers right mm -hmm. so i used to i used to want to buy a pair of jeans and the jeans, I didn't want them to have, because you wanted to crease the jeans, I didn't want them to have, you know, by the end of the year, 17 different creases, because you never get them just right, and when you iron them, right? So I asked my mother to show me how to show just a straight line, which would put a permanent crease in my pants, right? Uh, and a very thin crease in my pants, right? That was when I was 10 years old. When I was 20 years old, and I decided I wanted to buy a hip-hop hat that I saw out there. It was $20. I bought the hat. I brought it home. It was just a piece of fabric that was folded over. It was a straight line, and then there was a there was a tie on top. It looked like a ski cap without the ball. It had the tie on top. I sold 80 of those hats that night, and the next day, Good Friday, 1989, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I would stand out on a corner, and I would sell those hats because of the straight line that I learned how to sew, I learned 10 years earlier. Today, and they would become FUBU, and I would sell $6 billion worth of clothing. And you would see me and know me today because of a couple of those actions I took. Today, right now, if you want a power shift, I know you're working just as hard as me and Chase are every single day. I mean, I think we're busier than ever now. 
But putting one hour a day or one hour a week or two hours or four hours a week on that goal that you want to accomplish, please do not believe that when Chase and I say to do this, you're supposed to drop everything and just quit and move. You are supposed to slowly move into these areas that you want to go. You're supposed to take affordable steps. And some of you will say, I don't like what I'm doing. I thought that's what I want to do. And some of you will go, wow. I'm going from two hours to four hours, four hours to eight hours, and you're learning how to sew that straight line. And that is a power shift. So eloquently put. And again, if you're just now tuning in, the the book is a lifetime of learning in, what is it, 225 pages or something like that. So you know, I, books are always amazing ways to turn to get knowledge. And speaking of knowledge, I uh, opened a segment after our hearing from Cuban and, and the Bombas guys um, with this, the framework that you created, the why, and then the three principles, influence, negotiation, and relationships. I had a thought about influence I wanted to hear from you on. And and again, we're just about to go into the Q&A section. So again, we've got people from all over the world. If you have a question, I'm sorting through those right now. And the best ones I'm going to surface for Damon here in about five minutes. Uh, so ask away. Um, but in the meantime, this idea of influence and showing up and how you present, you talk about it on, on Shark Tank uh, or, or how to show up on Shark Tank. But not everyone who's listening is going to be on Shark Tank. Uh, but what role does it play to like present um, present yourself the way you want to be seen, but also be authentic to who you are. Because a lot of people that I see trying to pitch, they show up in a suit and tie, and they're not really a suit and tie guy, or they show up in a, you know uh, an amazing cocktail party outfit. And you know when it, when it comes to find out, she wants to be a hardcore CEO managing a business from at home. And so help me understand how you can both be authentic. Because that's an, you know, there's only one of you out there listening. So, I, I mean, you know, how do you show up as someone who's authentic and present well to sort of cultivate the influence that you talk about in Power Shift? I think that's a good question. I agree with you. Too many people show up, uh, you know, and they think this is how it needs to be presented, right? And uh, i give you an example. If you show up to my office and you're telling me that you're a coder and things of that nature, uh, and you show up in a three-piece suit, I don't think that you're in dark rooms for 48 hours coding, you know? Uh, so, you know, if you show up in my office, uh, you know, or my home and say that, you know, you're, uh, you know, you, you do really good construction, well, if you show up in a three-piece suit, you've got a problem because I know that you're not doing the construction. I want to find the guy with the knee pads on or the girl with the knee pads on with the dusty stuff because I believe you're in a three-piece suit because all you're doing is taking my money, taking a piece of it, and hiring that person. And so how do you build influence? Well, you're right, Chase. A lot of people are not going to be on Shark Tank. And somebody said to me one day, Damon, what if I meet you in an elevator? Because the elevator pitch now is more important now than ever before because, like Seth Golden says, nobody's making any more attention these days, right? So whether your elevator pitch is online or whether it's passing by somebody with your mask on, of course, keep your mask on. But how do I influence you, Damon John, if I walked into an elevator and you were there? I didn't know that I was going to meet you at all. So how can I create influence with you? Well, first of all, talk to me and tell me a little bit about your... Uh, business and how you think you can add value to me, this is kind of a great pitch. Hey, Damon, here's my technology. You know, we just kind of started it up. But, you know, I want to get a good opinion by people like you. So if you can give me some of your office, I'm going to give you the technology. and I'm going to find ways that I can add value to your system. And I'm not going to charge you anything at all. Just let me know who I can contact. If not, 
let me tell you the name of my company. It's so forth, so so on. And have somebody look out, it, look me up. And if not, no problem. But I'm sure I'll run down the road to you in the run down, run to you down the road in the future. I wish you all the best. But I hope that I can add value to you and to your staff. And you leave. You know when you build influence? Not then. You showed me one thing that you're not making your problems my problem because I got my own damn problem. You're trying to solve my problems. But here's where you built influence because I'm going to look you up or I'm going to tell my staff to look you up right after I leave here. And I'm going to look up all the things you've been doing. I'm going to look up the company, but I'm going to look up, you know, all the people around you. I'm going to look up all the things you're saying. Are you somebody saying negative things online? Are you somebody who's always a problem solver and posting great things? I want to look up the people around you. I was in an elevator and a woman did grab my attention. I did look her up. And unfortunately, every time I looked her up, she kept taking these pictures with the sky with a Confederate flag t-shirt on, on all her selfies. It was her husband. I don't have but so much time in my life. Maybe he just likes the art of the Confederate flag, but I think it's probably something else different. And I believe that she thinks like that as well. And she never knows why I never called her for that potential investment that I wanted to give her. That's where influence is built in your past. And I want you to have a direct correlation with who you are and your influence. Put yourself in two to five words, if you can. Can you describe yourself? Because if you can't describe yourself in two to five words, then you're leaving up, it up to us to interpret. Apple think different, Nike just do it, Google for it, bias, White Castle, what you crave, TNT, we know drama. You need to know what you stand for because they say a jury exonerates a conviction in the first 30 seconds of seeing you. And when we see you online or anyplace else, we are judging you. So you need to be in control of that. So this is how you build influence. Know your, through your true structure of who you are. Put yourself in two to five words, right? Dress the part that you believe you are, not what somebody else should think you are. You should go and dress how you are and carry yourself the way you want to because sooner or later, we'll see through it if you don't carry yourself the way you really are. So much value in that section of the book and what you just shared right there. Really appreciate it. Uh, I want to move on to the next section and the next piece of the structure, um, the framework, if you will, and that's negotiation. Now, a lot of people have been told to uh, to wait for someone else. If you throw out the first thing, you're going to lose the negotiation, and you flip that on its head. It's one of the principles. Uh, I think it's the title of a chapter, actually. Um, make the first move in a negotiation. What do you mean by that? Because that seems counterintuitive to what so many people have been told their whole life. Yeah, so negotiation, listen, when you're going in negotiation, make the first move. You know, there is an old saying that says the person who says the number first was going to be the one who loses. I just find the best way to do it is you go out there and you don't say the number first. You talk about what do you want to do. See, people like to learn in stories, right? So make the first move. Tell the story, and people want to, of course, they want to associate themselves with the story and resonate with them with that. Then after that, you tell them what you're looking for, where you're willing to go. If they don't want to go that high, then you ask why. Like I went back to earlier, what's getting in your way of this? How can I incentivize you? What can we do to come across there? You're going to have to go down that route sooner or later. And I'm the one, I love to just lay it out where we're thinking so we know we're in the universe so we can either start moving back or start moving towards the, 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 the concept of what we want to accomplish. So powerful. I think, again, con going uh, against conventional wisdom and this idea that, 
again, you're going to, um, as an entrepreneur looking for an investor, you're going to somehow set the tone by just walking up and throwing out a number. I, I love the idea of story. Um, you know, we're social animals, human beings. That's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, the pandemic is so hard because we're isolated. And the reality is that it's built into our DNA to grab onto stories. And, you know, if you if you listen to the Bombas guys or you listen to even Cuban, you know, an amazing storyteller, the story of how we sold broadcast.com is an amazing story that you lean into. Um, how did obviously you're a master storyteller. All you have to do is check out the book. But how do people dissect their own story in such a way that it's compelling? Because most people that I see, they're just like, yeah, um, you know, you know, here's my name and here's my product um, versus the story, the story of the Bombas guys, for example. So do you have any advice on people for people for how to become better storytellers? Yes. So the key to telling stories, whether you're talking to one person or you're talking to millions of people, is there is a little bit of a structure. Number one, tell people what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them. Then you tell them what you told them. You want to keep it really short. Hey, I'm going to tell you about a brand I created that's closely associated with music that kids are going crazy for because they feel like they finally have their home. Then you tell a little bit of the hoo story. And then you say, and that is why the kids now feel they have their home way to communicate even when they see somebody across the street they know that person's into the same type of music they are and they feel empowered and this is why they share this information and we're doing more and more business and we're ready to scale because we have worked this out in my territories and now we know we can replicate it all around the world and that's how people tell stories but one of the best storytellers in the world is president obama and i've noticed that president obama speaks and you know what he does he takes the question out of the room right he walks in and goes, you know, I've decided to do this. However, some people will say that it's wrong due to this, right? Take the question out of the room. You know your product. You know who you are. Hey, I'm so forth. I work at advertising. I've been in there for 20 years, and I've decided that I want to now become a manufacturer of clothing. However, I know you may think that advertising and clothing are two total different fields, but the value in what I have to offer is the advertising and marketing is usually the black hole in when you are selling products because you don't know where to target and how much to acquire your audience and this and that. But advertisers are really well at doing research. Now I am, have the ability to do research on the target demo, what they want, how to deliver it. I have these manufacturers set up. And I'm ready to move forward with you because I think that you could be a great strategic partner and I can add value to you because you happen to sell footwear. You know all the buyers and you want to take up more real estate on different sites. So I have something that does not compete with you. It complements you. I'm going to make sure that uh, we sell the product together. And I'm also going to help you with the advertising and marketing for your footwear. And it is a win-win situation for that person on the other side of the table. Amazing. I'm going to side with uh, Catherine Wedlock here uh, saying on Facebook, this is incredibly educational. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Marius says, thank you, Damon. Thank you, Chase. Thank you. You, you guys got me going years ago in your first conversation together, and I've survived and thrived since then. So uh, people coming in saying 
great, grateful for the advice that you're giving. And I want to ask one more question before we go to the worldwide audience who's tuned in from every corner of the planet right now. My last question is focused around the idea of relationships, this last cornerstone of the framework uh, of power shift. We talked earlier on about um, how powerful relationships are. You invested because you like people. You believe in them based on their storytelling, based on how they present themselves, based, of course, in part on the product, but it's just a piece of the pie. So there's a part of the book um, that I really identified with that I think I want you to share a little bit more in depth with the audience who's tuned in today, and that is banking relationship capital. Talk to me about that. Relationship capital is extremely important. Relationship capital is somebody that you've already dealt with or you already know, or relationship capital could be used in new forms as well, because you could be a person who was a conduit for a lot of different people coming to you, and you could say, I just know somebody, let me pass it on, and you always want the best for the person. But after a deal is done, generally, uh, you hope to do various many deals with that person, but if not, what you should focus on is making sure that that relationship is nurtured so they go and tell 10 and 20 and 30 people out there about you because isn't that why when some people raise capital they have a board because it's a relationship it is listen whether you know me or not and you may think that i have the ability to do this this person is over here in finance, this person in distribution, this person in marketing, whatever cases, and they have great names and they're ready to loan me their names. They're co-signing on me to say that I am somebody of value. So when your money or anything, your partnership is at risk, you know that I came with a board of trusted people that are going to allow me to give you better information and not make as many mistakes. And they're going to guide me because I don't want to be a burden to you. You should focus on making your relationship capital deeper, not wider. You don't want to always try to be everything to everybody. It's just like right now, you want to find out how you can collaborate with people. You know, if you are somebody who has a retail store, I love telling everybody about a guy that I was just consulting with a massive gym, and he said, I have all my members. They love me. They come in for me. Just like everybody here, every single person here, the people that they really deal with a lot, those people make you feel special. And he says, my members, though, they're going through tough times, and I can't open the gym. What do I do? So what did he do? He took all his machines and sent it over to his members' houses, he then took his iPhone and he's filming himself working out because the world is used to now, uh, you know, working out virtually because, of course, the big bike company, uh, what was the bike company name? Peloton. Peloton have gotten people used to that. But other relationships that he carved out, he knows retail stores are having a hard time. So he found three or four retail stores in the neighborhood he works, uh, uh, that his gym is at. And he said, the sell, sell workout clothes, he said, guys, can you offer my membership 30% off your clothes and you'll give me 5%? Of course, why? They get to move inventory that right now is sitting and getting stagnant. The members get 30% off and he makes 5%. He replicated that with a fresh juice company and a, a, a food delivery company. Those are all relationships. Relationships with his, his members, relationship with his staff to do the Peloton type of thing relationship with the new source in the community. He dug in there and he did collaborative things and now he's making more money than he ever did before. So it's about digging into your relationships and I'm telling you right now, everybody's sitting at home waiting to see 
what they can do, and you may have some collaborative efforts, or you may have some things that you could dig into for them to either recommend somebody for you to work with, work with you themselves, you know, mentor you in a better way. It's all about relationships, and relationship capital is extremely important. You heard it here first, relationship capital. Well, it's time for the last 10 minutes of this. I need to get a, a number of questions asked because we've probably had about somewhere between four and 600 questions. And I think we're going to get somewhere between four and 10 of them answered, depending on how fast we can get through it, because uh, I, I know that that's a really valuable part of the uh, class here. So um, it's really uh, a, a good place to start, I think, is right here with uh, Lorenzo Wilson coming in from LinkedIn. How do you overcome the anxiety? Not the anxiety that we're all experiencing right now with the pandemic, but the anxiety around launching something new because fear stops so many people. Lorenzo wants to know, how do you coach people to manage the anxiety of putting something new out in the world? Well, first of all, how you wouldn't put it new in the world, out new in the world, right? Have you done all your homework on it and... Putting something out new in the world doesn't often mean that you have to put out a physical product or a software. It could be putting out the idea. It could be putting out a video. You know, people love to give opinions, and that's the best thing you can do is open yourself up. Be vulnerable. People love people who are vulnerable because they often, even if you fail and you fall flat on your face, because i got to tell you, I closed FUBU down three times from 89 to 92. I closed it three times. But because I kept starting it back up, and I only lost $500, $1,000, and I opened it back up. Because I closed it three times, that's when I found my three other partners who said, you're not stopping. I love it, you know, and I want to get behind you. So be vulnerable. Please, trust me, you will get a lot of people behind you. If you really look at some of the greatest selling products in the world, it wasn't always the superstars that sold the best product. People like to relate to people they think are a little quirky, a little vulnerable. George Foreman, the fat, the fat uh, boxer, is selling grills because people related to him. Suzanne Summers, after she damn near lost everything, she's selling the thigh match or Flavor Flav at one of the top reality shows in the world. And I'm using these things to hopefully make you laugh, but I'm giving you reality. People, you don't always have to be shiny and glossy and perfect. True entrepreneurs, they act, they learn, and then they repeat. And they always get an army behind them. And don't try to get a big army, just like you said. Go deep on your relationships. Let those four or five or six people support you throughout the process of what you're doing. When I was selling FUBU, I would literally just sell to maybe 10 different people. And they would say, I'm the FUBU guy in New Jersey. And then another person would say, I'm the FUBU girl in Manhattan. And what happened after that? Then I sold the five, 10 stores. After that, I got my deal that was worth millions or maybe billions of dollars because we said, all right, now you figured it all out with those people. Now we can replicate that around the world in so many different ways. We can scale. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, thank you for that. I'm sure Lorenzo will find a lot of value there, as do the other thousands of people who are watching. We're going to go to Anthony Stevens now from LinkedIn. Uh, what's the most important thing when you want to power shift from being employed to transitioning to your gift or area of passion? Most important thing. Slowly do it. Um, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to be one of the people right now who are employed, set a goal, set a timeline. Understand that you're going to put two hours into this, 10 hours of this, 30 hours of this, and a week, a month, whatever the case is. 
I worked at Red Lobster for uh, five years uh, while I created Fubu. I understood my why. My why was I need to keep the lights on. I don't want to sit here and be warm and fuzzy to you and tell you quit your day job and burn all bridges. Don't do that. I need to keep the lights on. So I would make $30,000 a year at Red Lobster. But and I took my house and way before this was in uh, this was in 1991. I took my house and way before Airbnb was out, I rented out three rooms in my house for uh, $40 a piece or $50 a piece a week, and I slept in the basement on uh, next to sewing machines in a sleeping bag. But my why was that I needed to fund this company and I didn't have enough money. So making $30,000 a year at Red Lobster. In five years, that equated to $150,000. I had medical. I was eating all the food in Red Lobster, so I didn't have to pay for any food. And the staff in Red Lobster, all the waiters and waitresses were coming to me on the flea markets on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, and they were working for free. And my rent at home was being paid because I was renting it out to total strangers. So what? I was getting robbed in my bathroom by a total stranger. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I have knew my why, what I want to do. If I would have just started Google at that time, you know what I would have had to do? I would have had to do $2 million in sales over the course of that five years, and I would have never done that, and I wouldn't be here with you today. Brilliant, brilliant. A uh, question from Rain Hewlett from Facebook. Um, I've got a brick-and-mortar store, and we're planning to expand in the fall. Would you recommend expanding in this current condition that we're in here in the global pandemic, or should I expand online? Chase, come on, you gotta answer. You, know. <laughs> you have to expand online regardless. Bingo. You need to be smaller than ever. Don't do any outlays. You need to expand online. Remember, you right now are having people pass by your store and you're at the mercy of the people that are passing by your store right now. But online, you are selling to the entire world. And you need to understand how to sell online. Because business is very simple. You either increase sales or reduce costs. Right now, you need to reduce costs. Do not invest in anything else long term, especially retail shops, because even if you want to, get it in a year, year and a half. This thing is not going to be over as quick as you think or the way that people are buying. Now, remember, people are still buying. They're just buying in a different way. And if your store is having challenges right now, People are still eating three times a day. People still need to wear clothes. They need to get medicine. They, they, they're buying still. Online is where you have to go. I like to say when you're online, you are one step away from the money. When you did the business like I used to do, I was three or four steps away from the money. I made the clothes. Maybe a buyer would buy the clothes. Maybe they, uh, you know, then maybe maybe they would put it out on, and on the shelf. And maybe a customer bought it. And if a customer did buy it, who was the customer? Why did they buy it? Why did they not buy it? I was four or five steps away from the money. Now, if you sell online, you know why your customer bought it, what's their age, what's the color they like. You can ask them what they want to see in the future. And there's only, uh, you know, three ways to deal with a customer. You acquire a new one, you upsell a current one, or you make one buy more frequently. When you are selling directly to them online, you can upsell them or you can make them buy more frequently. So when you have a store, you're trying to acquire all day long. Right. So you have to go online and, and make sure you get really small on all your expenditures right now, because we don't know how long we can go through this. I knew that one was going to fire you up, man. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> uh, Muyahamad uh, Designs uh, asked from YouTube, how much has the personal brand that you built on TV helped you in business? 
And therefore, do you think building a personal brand on YouTube or any other platform can have a similar effect for us? Really, really great question. Um, my appearance and my, um, you know, the gift of going on Shark Tank has changed my brand massively. A lot of people knew who I was, um, but they really just thought about me as apparel. You know, like I said, people try to put you in a box. They didn't realize I knew the fundamentals of business. It's given me a lot of opportunity, but it also, it also has simultaneously changed me because at first when I went on to Shark Tank, I thought I was just going to get good deals um, because all I was getting pitched was clothing lines, and this was last, the last recession, and I wanted to get more things because if I was dealing with the Macy's, instead of just selling them clothes, I had I had 10 clothing lines, and eight of them were dead. And I wanted to be able to say to Macy's, can I take up more real estate by selling you electronics, uh, bedding, or various other things to deal with one buyer? And because they already were working with me, they knew I was a great manufacturer and they knew that they can trust that I would deliver and I'll take back goods. So that's why I wanted to do it. When I started to realize that uh, that it was very empowering to people, to families, uh, it was it was showing people that people walking up on that carpet and they had everything at risk, everything. And they were hard, everyday working people like the people watching us right now. And they took one action, and now they had their own companies. Uh, when I saw that they were learning, I realized that I had a bigger responsibility, and it started to define my why. Remember, I've been on the show over a decade, and we change. They say that we change every seven years. Well, it didn't take me long to change. After two years in, I realized I was like, you know, um, I really want to help people. I created for us, by us, Google for a culture of people who felt they were being neglected, not a color, but a culture. Right? I could have named it Damon John. I mean, there's a lot of brands. I don't know if it was sold, but there's a lot of brands of uh, clothing lines that named themselves person. Then I just I, I, I started writing books called Display of Power, which I wanted to tell you that you have the same power that everybody has. And then I started doing angel investing, and I started to realize I am somebody who cares about people. I do want to change the world a little bit. And if I happen to be a great example, and the reason I'm a great example on the show is, unfortunately... I'm one of the only African-Americans or people of color that you'll ever see on a national television show that have nothing to do with music or sports. And there are many, many more out there that are not publicly acknowledged. Chase, I know many of them, they're behind the scenes. But I like to say that if you can see that a young brown dyslexic boy from Queens can make it, then anybody can, right? And, when, and, and, and I started to realize that when people understand the power of entrepreneurship and tapping into their, uh, you know, their creativity and power shifting, when they stand on that carpet, no matter what color, gender, sexual preference they have, size, weight, religion, that carpet doesn't care. You can become who you want after that. And so I started to understand the value and the power of that. And it did change my public persona as well as change me mentally and it changed my drive and it changed my why. Incredible. Uh, just a couple questions now. I know we're running a little bit long on time, but uh, again, so many people want to hear from you. This is an amazing opportunity. Thank you all for tuning in here to Creative Live with Mr. Damon John talking about his new book, Power Shift. Uh, Heike Pinnon wants to know, what do you do when someone says you can't? What do I do when somebody says I can't? 
All right, listen, you can't get offended at somebody because you don't remember, you don't know what happened to that person over the course of time. Their parents could have locked them in the closet and, uh, you know, told them that this was the way life was. And, or they could not like you or they just may not have the vision, first of all, right? Uh, and second of all, just remember this. If everybody could do what you could do, there would be no place for you, right? There would be no place for you. Always remember what my mother told me. Driving down the street, she said, you see these cars, these buildings, these lights, this phone, everything we're on right now started with one person with one idea that took one action. Simple as that. One person, one idea that took one action. Why can't it be you? There's no reason it can't not be you. And if you look at Forbes' top 1,000 companies, 65% of them, are uh, self-made men and women that's created those businesses. That means they had nothing. That means everybody told them, no, you can't do it. I saw Mark, I saw uh, Zuckerberg be interviewed by uh, President Obama one day. And Zuckerberg doing okay, right? He said he still hears no. He says he still hears you can't do it. Remember, he started with all these kids on an Ivy League platform, and then he said, well, when you let the regular kids on that platform, they're going to go away. Then they didn't go away. Then all the kids in college said, when you let the high school kids on the platform, they're going to go away. They didn't go away. Then when all those kids said, you're going to let my grandmother, Nana, is going to be on the same damn platform I'm on? No way in the world. Everybody stayed. Then they said, well, we're moving us. We're moving us. We're moving us. Smartphones. You have to have a, a laptop or a desktop. Nobody's going to look at stupid-ass Facebook on their smartphone. Guess what happens? No, you can't get into this country. You're always going to hear no, and you've got to be strong enough, know your why, and know that you have influence, and know you know how to negotiate, and know that you're going to value those relationships to go through this. And that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about this right now. No better way to uh, wrap this up than on that. <laughs> the passion, you could feel it from every corner of the globe. And as a reminder, we <laughs> truly have a global audience tuning in. And the scrolling thank yous from all the different platforms here, Creative Live, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all giving you a huge shout out. Um, I think it's, imp it's important. I know you're doing a, a promotion right now on um, yeah. on the the site that you're, where are we here? We are. Powershift.com. So here's, here's yeah. the promotion. And I everybody. I think we got a slide for it too. We should, we should pull that up so people can see a little bit about it, but uh, keep talking Damon. We want to share what you have to say. Thank you everybody for tuning in from around the globe. It shows the importance because a lot of times you could be any place else, but you're here with me and you're here with Chase and it shows you're taking the initiative to want to educate yourself and make your life better. But you've got to take action right now on whatever you're doing. So please go and order, go to orderpowershift.com and you will get your autographed copy as well as our special offer. And this is the first time I'm doing it for this book. If you order five copies tonight, you're going to get exclusive access to a digital roundtable with me. You're going to get way more of these conversations where you can ask questions and you're not on with as many amazing people, but you're also going to be entered in a chance to win a one-on-one -on -one with me. But if you don't have the money, if buy five and create a book club, right? Test your family with this, you know, test your, your, your circle of friends, you know, do it together. It's kind of like that losing weight together, or working out together, test it. People are going to go through this book and they're going to find other little things that, oh, you know what? We should do that with our company. Why haven't we done that? 
it's kind of like a cipher, right? You gotta get, you gotta use all your resources right now and make sure that you order this book and use your family and use your friends and use your Rolodex and your contacts to, to lift everybody up. But I really, really thank you for even taking the time to be with uh, Chase and myself today. Well, thousands of people around the world applauding. Again, you heard it from the man himself. Pick up a copy of Power Shift. Uh, we at Creative Live, we have the good fortune of working with uh, about a thousand people just like you, Damon. But you always bring the heat, my man, the vision, the wisdom, the passion. We can feel it. And uh, personally, I just want to say thanks so much. This book has helped me a lot. You can see all of the uh, dog ears there. Um, thank thanks. you. For, thanks for being a huge inspiration. Um, so many people, Catherine and Vincent and Thinking and uh, Andy and Long and Ken and Sarah and Sally all saying thank you from different countries around the world. Grateful for your broadcast and your time teaching this class today. Um, anything, any final words? You've already directed people where to go to get the book. Um, and uh, maybe just a couple of coordinates of how to follow you online, where you prefer, where you're doing your most work. And anything, any final comments? Yeah, sure. Listen, so uh, thank you, of course. And you can follow me on all my platforms from uh, LinkedIn to Instagram to um, uh, uh, Twitter and uh, TikTok. I'm not as heavy yet. I'm, I'm learning myself how to do TikTok because just like I'm telling you, you know, listen, you never know where things are going to go. And I'm starting to get my groove and I like it. And the TikTok kid at 15 right now, that person is going to be a buyer and an absorber of things at 25. So like I said, whether I'm learning to be a producer myself or I'm learning to do more virtual things with Chase, who's been ahead of the game doing this for years, or I'm learning TikTok, I'm constantly educating myself. And you can, of course, find me at uh, The Shark Damon. My name is spelled Damon uh, Raymond, but with a D. And I just want everybody to really stay safe. And, and I hope that uh, I know a lot of people going through challenging times. And all of us think we're all like in a fog. We wake up every morning and go, wait a minute, is this thing over? Uh, was I dreaming? Or holy crap, what am I doing? Set your goals. Put them in action. Know your why. Take immediate steps. Talk to somebody if you need to talk to somebody. If you feel that you have stress, please talk to somebody. You're not going through this alone. Everybody can relate. So this is an opportune time to do all that and then move forward and create those those power shifts in your life where you are making significant change step by step by step. But thank you all. Great, great advice. Um, again, thank you so much. I'm Chase Jarvis, founder of Creative Live. It's been an honor to be with you, my man, Damon. Always good to see your face. I'm looking forward to our next chat. Until then, everyone pick up a copy of Power Shift, Damon's new book. Uh, we need to get this message that he's captured so eloquently out into the world. I hope you have a great week. This class will always be here at creativelive.com. If you want to come check it out, you can just type in Damon's name in the little search bar at creativelive.com. It will be here for you. And Damon gave you all the instructions on how to follow along with him. Damon, thanks so much, my man. Uh, from one side of the country to the other, we've had a global audience today. I appreciate you for everything you do. And congrats on the book, man. Huge success. Thank you so much. And I almost forgot, Chase, I do, because you were my last one. I do my live Instagram interviews uh, Monday and Tuesday, both at 1 o'clock Eastern. So 
that, that was a good time, me and Harley from Shopify. I always appreciate being on your shoes, man, show, shows, man. You do a fantastic job. And uh, if you haven't yet and you're listening and, and you're you're new to this, and some amazing live broadcasts coming out of Damon's Camp right now. Shout out to you and your team. Appreciate it. Everyone have a great day signing off. We'll hope to All see you again you. soon. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you. So much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts, uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, want to say thanks i'm just at chase jarvis you can use at creative live as well and the guests are easy to track down because they are well they're usually quite well-known people um but again thank you so much for listening i'm looking forward to being in your ears again hopefully tomorrow